Well, good evening. Hey, I just want to mention about baptisms. It's so important. If, you, if you've not been water baptized, then please come and talk to us. Even if you're not sure if it's something that you want to be a part of, uh, just grab me at the end of the service, and uh, we want to just answer any questions that you might have. What, what you're going to find in life is that everything that Jesus asks you to do, even if you're not sure whether or not you should, when you take that step of faith out of obedience, I'm telling you there's going to be an encounter with God that he has waiting for you that you don't want to miss out on, and that water baptism can be part of that for you. Hey, I also want to talk about, just uh, before we get into the message tonight, about Praxis 9, our internship program. It's our second year. Come on, you can cheer for that. We had three uh, students in, in, in Praxis 9, our School of Leadership, uh, uh, last year. And this year, we've got nine students. We're excited. That's going to start in the first week of September. And we're adding a little wrinkle this year that if you're interested in joining in in the classroom portion, you don't have to be a part of the internship to do that. So there's the internship, which is it's, it's a massive commitment for nine months. But there's four tracks. There's Bible, there's discipleship, there's leadership, and there's life skills. And each one of those tracks lasts for about 14 weeks. And our classroom time is on Thursday evenings and Friday evenings. So if you wanted to do the Bible track, you could pay $100, and that covers your, all your resources and things like that. And you can participate in the classroom portion. It's about from 6 to 8.30. Uh, on one night a week for those 14 weeks. So if you're interested in that, you can see me. Uh, you can see Sharon Thomas. Sharon, you can wave your hand right there. Uh, Amy Kimball, I don't know if Amy is here, but you can see Amy. There's Amy right there. She's waving her hand as well. And, uh, and we'd love to talk to you about if you'd be interested. You're going to have an opportunity to get world-class teaching in those sessions. They're going to be amazing. And so we just want to make that available to you. So all right, so you, if you know, if you've been tracking with us this summer, you know we're in this series called Hot Sign Your Soul. And if you're from this area, you recognize the Krispy Kreme imagery right away. Some of you, you're going to be going there right after the service, right? Just looking at that, you're like, I hope that hot sign is on when I get out of church today. And we're using that to say, you're supposed to be ready for something. And that is the conversation that you're going to have with Jesus at the end of your life. The text that we've been kind of springboarding off of uh, all summer is in Matthew 16. It's verses 24 to 27. And, and that's where Jesus makes this declarative statement that he's coming back. And that when he does, we're going to have to give an account for our lives. And it says that we're going to be judged according to our deeds. And that word deeds in the Greek is the word praxis, which is an important part of our church. We've named our internship that. It's the name of our discipleship model. Because this word isn't just deeds in the sense of it's just the stuff that you do day to day. It means that which characterizes your life. And so this entire summer, we've been asking the question, what are you doing this day to get ready for that day? Father, I pray for all of us tonight that you're just going to, to give us a, a focus as we dial into this message that we believe that you have prepared for us. As we begin to take a look at two of the 12 pathways that we know are the engine of this discipleship model, it's the work that we're supposed to do. We know there's a work of grace that you do, but then there's a work that you invite us into, and it's that work of discipleship, and it's those pathways that we teach here, Father, that you've given to us. We want our lives to be filled, filled 
with the work of these pathways. And so I pray, Father, that you would open up our hearts, create a sensitivity in us to whatever your Holy Spirit wants to do in us, Father, in Jesus' name. Come on, and everybody said, amen. This is our, just to give you a recap, our notes are online. So when you go onto the website for the podcast, there'll be a PDF document of the notes for every week's sermon, unless we do something spontaneous like last week. But these notes are on there. But this is our statement that we have introduced many of you to over the last several years. It means if I accept the one invitation, then I must obey six commands. And to obey six commands, I must walk in 12 pathways. And when I walk in 12 pathways, I become 24 virtues. So there's an invitation. There's one invitation, and that's the invitation that the Holy Spirit inspired the Apostle Paul to give us in 1 Corinthians 11, where he says, follow me as I follow Christ, or imitate me as I imitate Christ. And if we accept that invitation to discipleship, then we've got to commit our lives to six commands that we believe are the foundational teachings of Christ. And the way I obey those six commands is to live my life in pursuit of these 12 pathways, which are like spiritual disciplines, prayer, and scripture, and accountability, and stewardship. So there's 12 of them. And when I walk in those 12 pathways, pathways, I become the 24 virtues that come from five great growth lists that we find in the New Testament. All of that's in the notes if you want to look at that in greater detail. And so we're going to look at two pathways tonight. We're going to look at two. We're going to talk about prayer and we're going to talk about relationships. And, and, and the word that I feel like God gave me to kind of give us the lens that we're going to look through these, right? Because we could do a whole summer series on prayer alone. We could do a whole summer series on relationships alone. And, and kind of the word that I feel like God gave to, to, to me to, to say we're, we're going to look at these pathways through this filter is the word relentless. So we like participation here at City Life. And so, so when you hear me say the word relentless, what's something that comes to mind? You can raise your hand. I'll point to you. Tyler. Honey badger. There you go. There you go. Somebody else. When you hear the word relentless, Jennifer. God's love. That's good. Somebody else. I know I make you nervous when I walk around. That's why I do it. Jamal. A roach. I know. I, I feel you. The very first apartment that I lived in when I was a young adult. Yeah. It wasn't my apartment. It was the roach's apartment. And I just lived there with them. Right? I, it's terrible. Inner city of Richmond. Marvin. A committed a Olympics, right? Committed athletes, relentless. School. School, which you're heading into, right? College, first year in the fall. Yeah, all right. Stan. A snapping turtle. A snapping turtle. They don't let go. They don't let go. I grew up in the country, and that's how you kill snapping turtles, right? You catch them. You hold something out there for them to latch onto, and their head comes out of the shell, and you can figure out the rest on your own. Sally. A toddler that has made up their mind. Nice, nice. Somebody else? Anybody, when you think of relentless, what's something that you think of? Yeah? Aaron? Work. Yes. It's always waiting there for you, isn't it? I know, I know. It's relentless. Yeah, right? There's, when, when you hear me say that word and, and when you hear other people give their examples, we, we understand what that word means. It's, it, right? it's just, it means that there's no give up in whatever that is. It, it means that there's, there's a, uh, it, it's a little bit ferocious. It, it, it's, it, it's, dare we even use the word obnoxious? Right? It, it's un. Relenting, And it's interesting to me that as we talk about prayer tonight, that this is the word that Jesus himself uses to talk to us 
about prayer. If, if you've got your Bible, you can turn to Luke 18. This is the story I want to start with, Luke 18. We're going to look at two stories tonight, one that, that evidences relentlessness in prayer, and then one about relentlessness in relationships. Luke 18, 1 through 8. One day Jesus told his disciples a story to show that they should pray always and never give up. There was a judge, he says, in a certain city who neither feared God nor cared about people. A widow of that city came to him repeatedly saying, Give me justice in this dispute with my enemy. And the judge ignored her for a while. But finally he said to himself, You ever have a conversation with yourself? says to himself, I don't fear God or care about people. But this woman is driving me crazy. I'm going to see that she gets justice. Listen to his reason. Now, this is... This isn't Jesus observing behavior that's inappropriate that he's giving commentary on. This is his parable that he chose to teach us something about prayer. I'm going to see that she gets justice because she is wearing me out with her constant requests. Does anybody else, when you read that, does it surprise you a little bit? It doesn't say, I'm going to give her justice because I've had a change of heart and I realize this is the right thing to do. He, he says, I don't, care, I don't care about God. I don't care about people. I don't care about justice, right? I'm just going to do what she asks because she's wearing me out, because she's being relentless. Then the Lord said, learn a lesson from this unjust judge. Even he rendered a just decision in the end. So don't you think God who surely gives justice to his chosen people who cry out to him day and night. Will he keep putting them off? I tell you, he will grant justice to them quickly. But when the Son of Man returns, how many will he find on earth who have faith? And faith is a big word, but one of the parts of faith is relentlessness. And that's what Jesus is saying to them. And that's what he's saying to us. He's saying, if you've got to be willing to learn to pray and not give up. Why is he saying that? Because he's saying when there will be times, even though it's not true, there's going to be times where you feel like God is an unjust judge. You're going to feel like he's doing the wrong thing. You're going to feel like he's ignoring you and that he's putting you off. And he says the answer to those moments is to press harder, to ask longer, and to pray louder. Because if an unjust judge is going to Give in to relentless prayer. How much will a perfect God do that for you and do that for me? This text, this story came alive for us as a church in the beginning of 2008. We moved here in 2007. The church was just about a year and a half old, and we were meeting in Regal Cinema, right? Anybody here was here during those times, meeting in Regal Cinema there? And there was about 100 committed people in the church. The church was about $19,000 in debt to its building fund, which is not uncommon for church plants. It had a lot of energy, but did not have a lot of structure. It had a lot of momentum, but it did not have a lot of direction. And so as a church, when we came, one of the first things that we said is that we need to put some of this structure in place. And one of the things that we need to do is we need to get into a more permanent location. And so we began to look and we began to search and just it seemed like God was the unjust judge of this story and would not answer our prayer. And so at the beginning of 2008, we taught on this this parable and said, this is going to be the year of his yes. That was 
our declaration of faith to the whole church. And the whole church rallied behind that. This is the year of his yes, that he's going to yes, say yes to us with finances. He's going to say yes to us with a location. And I'm telling you what, we came out of January saying, we might not even make it through the first quarter before God hears us, right? Come August, come August, months later, nothing's happened. No breakthrough. But God gave us a challenge. And we knew that his challenge to us was going to be relentless. And so we kept praying and we kept talking. And then late one night as I was at home and I was up studying for a message that I was writing, I came to the beginning of Mark chapter, I think it was Mark chapter 2. And it talks about how Jesus was in a house and it says that people were, were, did not knock on that door until evening came and the sun had set. Now, what did that mean? It meant that they were so afraid of the, violating the religious tradition of the Sabbath that people who were at risk for their life because of disease would not knock on the door. It's a powerful image, isn't it? So I got this picture of there was probably a mother in line with a child who maybe was so sick that they were on the verge of death. But that was not part of God's plan, but became a part of people's plan through poor teaching, right? Over the years, the tradition of the elders, we call it, that they would not violate. They would not cross that threshold until the sun went down. They knocked on the door and it says Jesus came out and ministered to them. And in that moment, God began to speak to me about how our church was going to do something so unbelievably non-traditional that it would give people pause. And then we began to realize that that meant moving our service off of Sunday morning onto a Saturday night. And that's how this vision of Saturday night was birthed through that text. And in that year of believing for the year of his yes. So it took us a couple of months to work through our decision-making process with our leaders. But once we got there, we began to look for a church that would be willing to partner with us. And we called this place called the Mosaic at 28 Harpersville Road. I called Nate Nowatney, who's one of our regional elders at the Suffolk campus, because his father was an elder at Hope Community Church that owned that property at that time. And I said, Nate, what do you think if we should reach out to the Mosaic to see if they have any room there. Now we knew it was full, but we thought maybe we've got an inside track, right, with knowing somebody. So Nate calls his father, Dean. Dean says, you're not going to believe this. I'm having lunch right now with Pastor Ken. And the reason why we're meeting is that just this week, one of the churches that meets here turned in their notice that they're leaving. And we're meeting today to talk about who's supposed to come. And that's when our call came into that, right? God orchestrates circumstances on our behalf. Now you might say, well, Fred, he might have done that anyways, whether or not you prayed or not. Maybe that's true. But because we prayed, because we prayed for nine months, something came alive in us that God was answering our prayer. And I believe that that faith that was birthed in us in 2008 became a part of the foundation of our church that enabled us to believe for things in the years to come and will so forward as we move ahead to continue to believe for things that are way beyond what we could ever envision in the natural. Listen to this in Philippians 4, 6 through 7. It says, don't worry about anything. And said, pray about everything. Tell God what you need and thank him for all he has done. Then you will experience God's peace, which exceeds anything we can understand. His peace will guard your hearts and minds as you live in Christ Jesus. So let me share this statement with you. I'm not telling you that relentless prayer will always get you what you want. That's not what I'm telling you, son. 
But I promise you there is a yes from God that you will only hear if you are tenacious. Let me say that again. I'm not telling you that relentless prayer will always get you what you want. But I promise you that there are yeses from God that you will only hear if you are willing to be tenacious. I believe there's a lot of yes that comes from God we don't even ask for because he's a perfect father and his heart's filled with grace. It's like you with your own children. Sometimes you give them stuff whether they're asking for it or not because it's the overflow of who you are and the relationship that you have with them. And then there are times, right, where your kids come to you and they ask you for things and you say yes because you know it's just the right thing in the moment. But then there are times where your kids ask you for things and sometimes you make them wait because you know that there's a lesson that they need to learn in waiting and God is the same with us. And I believe that sometimes there are breakthroughs that we miss out on because we gave up too soon. And I think the reason Jesus gives us this parable is he's saying to you and to me, you're going to get all of these yeses, you're going to get all of these yeses, and sometimes there's a lot of no's mingled in there too. But there's a whole group of yeses that Jesus says that we're not going to receive from him if we give up too soon. We have to learn to be ferocious and relentless in times of prayer and not give up. So we were at the lake this summer at Lake Gaston, and, uh, and we got our kids before we left on vacation. We did a couple of different trips this summer, and uh, we got them a GoPro. We said this is going to be a fun gift for them. They're going to be able to do some filming and document uh, some of our trip. And so we're at the lake house, and uh, most all of Vanessa's family converged with us, and uncles and aunts and cousins. And, and so her brother, uh, Nate, was in the water on this float, and he's throwing the football to the kids as they're running off this dock, right? It's like they're back here, and they get this... Right, they're running and then they just leap out into the air and then he throws them the ball and they're trying to catch it. So Ethan says, Hey, I'm gonna get the GoPro because we got some of the harnesses, right? There's a chest harness for the GoPro. And so he puts it on and, and so they're 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 running and he's catching it right and we you know you're not seeing but you know that it's gonna that's gonna be really cool video. And so he gets back in line and then it comes back to Ethan's turn and, and I hear I'm out there in the water kind of floating around laughing and I hear Nate, Uncle Nate, he says, Here comes a bullet. And something inside of me says, I don't know, I don't know if that's good. Right? But who wants to be that uncle, right? Hey, let's not get too rowdy here, right? No, nobody wants to be that person, right? So Ethan runs, right? And Nate, he, I mean, Nate's a big guy. And, and so he throws this ball, right, like it came out of a cannon. Ethan catches it, goes under the water, comes up, and I'm like from here to there. And Ethan looks over at me, and he has a look of terror on his face. And he says, it's gone. And I said, what's gone? And he says, the GoPro. And so being the perfect father that I am, you know, I said, it could happen to anybody. Mistakes happen. It's not your fault. You're Vanessa laughing already. Ah! And so the way that I communicated all of that to him was, are you kidding me? That's a lot of money. But what I meant was, that's okay. It's not your fault. That could happen to anybody. So we began to look for that thing. Now, it was dusk. 
It was dusk. And so when you dove, it's about eight feet down. When you got to the bottom, you could, I kid you not, I'm not exaggerating anyway, you could see about this much, right, of, of what was below you. And that was if it was this close to you. Now, I'm going to show you some footage. This is about 40 minutes of footage that's condensed into about a minute and, and 40 some, sec, <coughs> excuse me, of seconds. It looks like it's bright because you're the GoPro looking up at the ambient light. But if you're looking the other way, it's pitch dark. Now, this GoPro just happened to right land face up and it just began to film. We got so close to this stupid GoPro so many times. Let's just watch together. Here's somebody's gonna actually hit it. They get so close to it. Monica asked if we were in a river in Rio. It's a little dirty. All right, here come the fish. That catfish was huge. Wait till you see the Loch Ness monster. And this one's going to come back around and tag it a little bit. He sneaks around behind it. <laughs> oh. So if that's not funny enough, we didn't have goggles, but the kids did. So all the adults had these little children's goggles on, right? And we look like Olympic swimmers, right? Because they're just pressed in so hard. We, it's, it's hard to imagine how dark it was down there. So we got a flashlight, put it in a waterproof baggie, and, and we searched, I, I probably for a good 45 minutes. There was an electrical storm off in the distance that was getting closer and closer and closer. So at some point we were like, you know, it's just a GoPro. Let's not die in a lightning strike looking for this thing. Well, you, right, if you know me, I, I don't like to lose, right? And so the whole night when we go inside, right, they're playing games and we're eating, I'm just thinking, when am I going to find that GoPro? And so I'm waking up in the night trying to figure it out. I'm trying to, to kind of, it's, it's an area probably about 15 feet by 15 feet that we know that we need to search in. You know, did the football hit it and the GoPro flew backwards? Did his body momentum carry it forward? And so I kind of came to a conclusion that, that where he could have jumped to as fast as he was running and that, that as we were watching him, we realized he had not turned. And so his body must have carried that GoPro forward a little bit. So when we got up in the morning, I'm calling around marinas, you know, are there, is there a diving service? How much would that cost to have them come out? And, and, uh, and so I talked to one marina and they said, you know, we've got a big industrial magnet 
that we use here at the campground, and we'll let you borrow it if you just leave a deposit. So we got that thing. And when I'm coming back, I'm thinking to myself, am I a Christian or not? Do I believe in relentless prayer or not? I, so I, I kid you not, much to the chagrin of everybody, adults and children included, when we got down there, I had brought a bottle of olive oil down from the kitchen, and I made everybody gather around this magnet, right? Which was basically an idol at this point, right? And I anointed that thing with oil and prayed the biggest prayer of faith that I've prayed in years. My nephews are laughing, right? And I'm thinking, God is going to strike you dead right now for your disdain for faith, right? And so we used, we used that magnet. We, the magnet didn't do anything. And so finally I said, you know, I'm just, I'm going to get in the water where I think Ethan went in and I'm going to dive. Down. That's the noise you hear, right? You got to blow your air out so you can sink down to the bottom. And so I, I get in. And I think I'm going to, I pick this spot and I'm thinking it's got to be probably within six feet of this spot. On my first dive, I get in. Well, now you can see it's daylight, probably about this much. And I dove and I swam for about six feet and I'm about ready to come up for a breath. And I look up and I see the most glorious sight, the GoPro, just waiting there for me to come and rescue it. I grabbed that thing and shot up out of the water with it over my head as if I was Michael Phelps having won my 22nd gold medal. And from now on, anybody in Vanessa's family, when they lose something, they're going to call and say, bring the oil, Fred. We need to pray. Now those moments, right? We can gloss over them and just think that this is just life happening. Or, or we can say, no, no, we serve a sovereign God that's always trying to teach us a lesson. And if we don't have the faith to pray for something like that, what are we going to have when the stakes are real? Because that's just something you can replace. But I think God teaches us in the little things, right, so that when it really matters, Something inside of us that will not be denied says, I am going to be relentless in this place of prayer. And even if God in the end says no to me, I will not get up from bended knee until I hear an answer. Jesus said it. Verse 1. One day Jesus told his disciples a story to show that they should always pray. Always pray and never give up. If you don't learn how to be relentless in your journey of life in prayer, I'm telling you, you're going to miss out on a world of wonder and awe. All right, let's talk about relationships. So we did a little bit of extra traveling this summer. We're coming up on our, on our ninth year here uh, at City Life. And so the regional team began to meet uh, many, many months ago. And we began to talk about, you know, what kind of plan are we going to have in place for the pastoral team for like a sabbatical kind of experience. And so we said, you know, when you get between like the seven and the 10 year mark, the church wants to give them some extra weeks of vacation and set aside a little money just for a trip to be able to get refreshed. And so because we're in our ninth year, that's why we did some extra travel this year. As I know some of you were looking at where are the shows next, right? And so for the trip that, that we took, the kids were all old enough to go to camp for the very first time, right? And so that, that so when they left for camp, we left for Las Vegas, 
Because I don't know about you, but that's a great pastoral getaway with your wife, with your wife. So we had never been, and we wanted to, you know, go see Cirque du Soleil. We wanted to see Penn and Teller. We wanted to see some shows. And so we just had this most amazing time of being refreshed. So we just want to say thank you for that. But, but we've never been gamblers. We're not gamblers. We're too uptight to be gamblers. But we knew we wanted to do something, right? And so this is my, this is my memento from gambling. It's a cash-out voucher from the Bellagio Resort for three cents. Because, see, there's some things that you want your pastor to be really bad at, and gambling is one of them. And you can just go in and check that off the box, right? So we get there, and, and, and so we're like, we're going to do some slot machines. Some of you had been and, and had said to us, I'll play some slots, play some slots. And so we were playing the penny slots, which is really a lie because it still takes 20 cents to at least do the initial bet, right? That's how they draw you in. And they don't have the lever anymore, right? Because you can spend a lot more money a lot faster pushing a button. And so one day, Vanessa was uh, taking a rest, and, and so I was down there, I had, a, I had $5, and so I'm a big spender, right? They, they didn't even let me near, right, the, 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 uh, the, uh, the high-stakes room. They got room, right, for people. They, they don't even get close to the store, so we can tell, right, right? That shirt you're wearing with a collar is a dead giveaway. No, I'm just kidding. And so, so, they, uh, so, I'm, so probably within a couple hours, that $5 was about $16.40, and I'm like, come on, this is great, Right? And so we did a little of that, but we had more fun watching than anything else, right? And so one of the games that we loved to watch were people that were playing craps because they were having so much fun, right? There's this big, long table. We stumbled into a pool tournament while we were waiting for a show, and so we started to talk about how can we get a pool table at our house, right? So after watching people crap, play craps, we were like, we don't want a pool table. Let's get a craps table. Wouldn't that be great that people come over visiting the church? Pastor, is that a craps table in your basement? Yeah, did you bring any money, right? And so, so because people are playing this game, they don't know each other. They're high-fiving and, and cheering for each other. You kind of get caught up in this moment. The, these strangers, they are for each other because, right, their mortgage payment is dependent on it. And then we're just, I'm a think analyst kind of person. So I'm, I'm loving that this game is so complex and all the odds. And so I'm trying to figure that out. I kid you not. One night we went back, Vanessa fell asleep. I was up for like three hours watching YouTube videos on how to play craps, right? And so, so the next morning I was like, honey, we have got to try. So we saw this lady, she pulled up. This is one of our moments of inspiration. She probably had to be in her, in her sixties or seventies. She was older. She's a tiny lady. She had, she, she pulls up, pulls up a stool, sits at this craps table, has a pack of Newport cigarettes, orders black coffee and pulls out a wad of a hundred dollar bills. So it was probably, I don't know, about 500 bucks. Gives that to the guy. He takes that money. And then I kid you not, within about 20 minutes, that was about $3,000 in front of her. Now, now I'm convinced that that lady works for the casino, right? <laughs> because it draws in people like me. And I'm thinking, I, I could do that, right? And so I, I have my ticket for $16.20. And so I'm like, I'm going to go to the one slot machine that I won the most on two days ago. It was Quick Hit Fever was the name of it, right? And so I'm playing this thing, and Vanessa comes over, and, and, uh, and, 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 and so I get it up to like 25, and then it goes down to like 10, and she's like, you should cash out, you should cash out. And I'm like, I'm not getting up from this seat until I turn that $16 into $50. And the laughter that came out of her in that moment sounded a lot like the laughter when we were praying over the magnet. 
at Lake Gaston. I'm just saying, just saying, right? So I said, no, I'm, I'm, I'm going to I'm going to turn this into 50. So we kept playing and we kept playing. Then all of a sudden it was 20. Then it was like 30. And next thing you know, it was like $46. We were hitting all these jackpots. We're high-fiving and laughing. And I know people are thinking, right, though, that couple needs to get out a lot more, right? Because what you're winning is on the screen. So people are coming over. They think it's probably like $10,000. Yeah, $29.48. But this was my plan. I was like, I'm going to get, I had like $50 set aside to play like a real game. So I was like, if I can get this to 50, I can throw my 50 in and then I can go play craps for the first time. So I got it to 46. I was like, that's close enough. We kicked in $54, went to the craps table, the guy that was super nice to help us. And we're playing and we're, and after about 20 minutes or so, that $100 is about $160, $175. I'm thinking, this is great, right? 10 minutes later, I had $10, 10, 10. I was like, I'm out. So I went back to quick hit fever, right? Because I had it. And I put my 10 in. I said, I'm just going to start over again. And then probably within about 20 minutes, that 10 was three cents. And this is what I have. And that's my gambling story from Las Vegas. So why am I telling you that story? Because for some of you, your friendships, they're craps table friendships. They're fun. They're exciting. You got nicknames for each other. A friend of mine was talking about a trip that he went to Vegas and he was playing craps. And he said, by the time they ended up playing craps, they didn't even know each other's names. They had just given each other nicknames, right? strangers. For some of you, those are your friendships. They're fun and exciting, but there's no depth. There's no depth. And what I would say to you tonight, until you're ready to be relentless in pursuit of friendships, then you're never going to have any relentless friends. Listen to this. Listen to this text. Oh, this story is good. Mark 2, 1 through 12. Mark 2, 1 through 12. When Jesus returned to Capernaum several days later, the news spread quickly that he was back home. Soon the house where he was staying was so packed with visitors that there was no more room even outside the door. And while he was preaching God's word to them, four men arrived carrying a paralyzed man on a mat. They couldn't bring him to Jesus because of the crowd, so they dug a hole through the roof above his head. Relentless. They lowered the man on his mat right down in front of Jesus, relentless. Seeing their faith, Jesus said to the paralyzed man, My child, your sins are forgiven. But some of the teachers of religious law who were sitting there thought to themselves, What, what is he saying? This is blasphemy. Only God can forgive sins. Now, Jesus knew immediately what they were thinking, so he asked them, why do you question this in your hearts? Is it easier to say to the paralyzed man, your sins are forgiven, or stand up and pick up your mat and walk? So I will prove to you that the Son of Man has the authority on this earth to forgive sins. And then Jesus turned to the paralyzed man and said, stand up, pick up your mat, and go home. You know, there's people I want to talk to when I get to heaven, and some of them are at least one of the four of these men. Can you imagine what they saw like this? Looking down through that hole that they had dug in a roof, their friend that they had lowered down at the feet of Jesus, because they, not only did they have a relentless faith, 
but they were relentless friends. The man jumped up and grabbed his mat and walked out through the stunned onlookers. They were all amazed and praised God, exclaiming, we've never seen anything like this before. One of my favorite parts of this verse, it says they were all amazed, even the skeptics. Even the skeptics. We've never seen anything like this before. Can I just tell you that people like that, they're not craps table friends. People like that aren't casual friends. Can those friendships still be fun? You better believe it. Can they be exciting? You better believe it. And oftentimes it's where deep friendships start. But at some point, you have to decide for yourself that you are going to be relentless in the pursuit of relationships because there's going to come a time and a point in your life where you're going to be like the person on the mat. It might not be because you're physically incapacitated. It might be because you're financially incapacitated. It might be because you're emotionally incapacitated. It might be because you're spiritually incapacitated. And you need some people that love you enough that come to you and say, hey, we're coming to take you somewhere today. Because we know this guy didn't go to his friends because he can't do that. They come to him. Jesus is coming to town. You're coming with us. I love that just one of their friends, whatever Boy Scouts were back then, he was one of them. We better bring some rope just in case. I got some great knots I've been practicing. I hope we get to use them. Can you see that conversation they get there? They can't get in. They can't get there quite as fast as everybody else because they're carrying someone. And they get there and one of them says... I think we can get up there. Get up where? Up there. We can get up there. Why would we want to get up there? Because we can cut a hole in the roof. And we can lower him down. The gal on the mat's going, I don't think that's a good idea. I, I don't think that's a good idea. You need friends that are willing to do for you even when you don't want them to do it. That's relentless. Even where you're saying, no, I don't want to go there. They're going, oh, you're going. You're going. Because they love you that much. Because they, even if he had not been healed that day, his life would have never been the same. Because somebody loved him in a way probably that no one had ever loved him before. And I'm just asking you right now, do you have friends like that? Do you have four? Can you name four people? that would go to that length for you in a moment of crisis. And if not, it's not because people are lame. It's because you've not been relentless in your pursuit of relationships. Because if you're relentless, I'm just telling you, in your pursuit of relationships, friends like that are inevitable. It's inevitable. I'm going to invite the worship team to come back up. Listen to these verses in Hosea. Oh, I love these texts. This is Jose. He says, I said, plant the good seeds of righteousness and you will harvest a crop of love. What's he talking about? He's talking about the work of caring for your own heart through spiritual disciplines will bring about the fruit of character. Plow up the hard ground of your heart, he says, for now is the time to seek the Lord that he may come and shower righteousness upon you. I don't know about you, but I think he was relentless. 
14.9 says, Let those who were wise understand these things. Let those with discernment listen carefully. The paths of the Lord are true and right, and righteous people live by walking in them. But it doesn't stop there. But in those paths, sinners, they stumble and fall. You know why they stumble and fall? Because they're like children that are being dragged by a parent. You ever been a parent? Had to drag your kid along a little bit? Maybe maybe you were crossing the street and you had a toddler that decided, I like it right here where I am. They dig their heels in and there's oncoming traffic and you're thinking, right? You're coming with me. And you're kind of pulling them along by the hand and they're just stumbling and falling along behind you. I think that's the picture that Hosea is trying to create for you and me. What kind of child of God are you going to be? Are you going to walk in these paths with him? Or are you going to make him drag you along as you stumble and fall? How do you walk right when it comes to the pathway of relationships? This is where it gets real. If you call this your church home and you don't serve here once a month, then you're not pursuing relationships relentlessly. Because serving in ministry isn't about work that needs to be done. It's that sum, but it's about relationships that need to be formed. If you don't participate in life groups, you aren't pursuing relationships relentlessly. We've got life groups that are rolling out this fall. Amazing! There should not be a person that says, well, I just couldn't find one that resonated with me. It's not about the topic. It's about the people and the relationships that form. If you don't give regularly with the goal of practicing the biblical mandate of tithing, you aren't pursuing relationships relentlessly because that's what funds every ministry that makes relationships possible. If you don't, you ready for this one? Curl your toes. If you don't plan to get here early and stay late on Saturday, then you're not pursuing relationships relentlessly. If you show up at 515 and leave at 610, right? You're robbing yourself of the future friendships that one day you need to be relentless in your life. If you don't put your abilities and gifts to work here at City Life, if this is the church that you call them, if you're visiting, then put them to work where you're coming from. Then you aren't pursuing relationships relentlessly because God didn't just give you gifts so that you can feel fulfilled. That's part of it. He gave you gifts and talents because guess what? Through those gifts and talents, he connects you to other people. And it's how he's leading you there. So you got to decide, am I going to be the child that's being dragged down the road? Or are you going to be the child that says, Father, I can't wait to get where you're taking me. And one of the places that he's taking you to are friendships that just cause your heart to sing. Stand with me, Father, as we step into this moment of worship. I know that there are some people here, they need to learn how to be ferocious and relentless in their prayer. And then there's some people, God, they're over here, and they need to learn to, to pursue relationships relentlessly so that they can have relentless friends. And then there might be some people, God, that they need both. Wherever they are, Father, I pray that something would ignite in their heart tonight and that they would make room for this feeling of relentlessness. 
and that they would be willing to be ferocious on their knees and in pursuit of friends.